0: Well, Taylor and Travis are doing well today, I'm thinking. I guess there's still a thing. Taylor showed up at the Chiefs-Jets game last Sunday night. And uh, ironically, Jimmy Fallon said Taylor had to wait for six hours on Ticketmaster to get her tickets. But she did show up. It's no secret that Taylor Swift has a knack for stringing words together that tangle us up in a web of emotion. So, my thought today is, what song really touches your emotion? What song seems to really speak to you at down times in your life? Music has charms to soothe the savage breast, to soften rocks or bend a knotted oak. That was said, as you see, back when I was a kid in 1697. So for a long, long time, music has been known to touch our emotions and to do something to the deepest part of us. Maya Angelou says, music was my refuge. I could crawl into the space between the notes and curl my back to loneliness. And my favorite philosopher of all, Charles Schultz, has Schroeder, who was the pianist in the strip, Beethoven fan, says, as long as I have my music, I think I can face whatever life has to offer. Yeah, in times of trouble, music helps. Music becomes our refuge, yes. It becomes our way through. It becomes a healing part of our experience. And that's really what the book of Psalms is all about. We talked last week that the Hebrew word psalm, literally means to pluck. Sometimes it was used to describe the act of plucking a flower, but most of the time it was used of plucking a musical instrument of some kind. So the Psalms are a collection of poems. When you read a Psalm, you're not reading a sermon. You're not reading a theological treatise. And so we aren't to read it like it's logical like sermons are supposed to be, but they're not always. Uh, The Psalms have language in them that are metaphors and that are allegories that don't always make sense. But music doesn't always make sense logically, but it touches our soul. And as uh, Chris read from Psalm 23, 3, that verse today, It's a Taylor Swift verse. That lyric is a Taylor Swift lyric because it's all about a new beginning, getting your life back. It's all about picking up the pieces and learning and growing and daring to do something new. In the King James Version, which I memorized, uh, the version in which I memorized this Psalm in fourth grade, he restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake beginning anew is the message of that phrase that you see restoreth my soul the word restore literally means to bring back and the thing that is being brought back is the soul in our western mind when we think of the soul we think of that part of us that continues to live when the body dies but in the hebrew culture the word soul is more about our comprehensive life. It's about all of us. In the Hebrew thought, the soul is kind of like this. You don't have a soul. You are a soul. And so a lot of the contemporary versions of Psalm 23 says, you restore my life. It's the wholeness of our life is the idea, Uh, your whole person. And so it could be translated this. You bring back my life. This is Madeline Carthen. In 2007, she was declared dead. The only problem is, she's very much alive. And she's been trying to prove that she's alive ever since. Still, there's the question about her being alive. She discovered that she was dead when she was registering at uh, oh, uh, Webster University in St. Louis. She was getting some financial aid and the financial aid director told her that the Social Security number that she gave is associated with a person who had been deceased. And so uh, Madeline called the Social Security Administration, and they admitted, yes, that is a mistake. And Madeline said, no kidding, is it a mistake? But she hasn't been able to rectify it. They still have her as a person who is dead. In fact, they sent her an email, uh, the Social Security Administration did, that said less than one-third of 1% of the 3 million names listed as dead are corrected. That means 10,000 names a year are uh, considered to be dead but incorrectly considered to be dead. That's a lot of people. Her walking around trying to get their life back. In fact, the Guardian newspaper said, to this day, Madeline cannot revive herself. She needs Psalm 23:3, bring my life back. That's what she's asking. But a lot of us are asking, bring my life back. You all who have been through serious illness, you all who have stood at the grave of a partner, a child, a parent, or a friend, you who have faced or are facing financial loss, you who have experienced the deep pain of a, the disintegration of a relationship, you all have cried. I have cried, bring my life back. And maybe we're still asking for that life to be restored. You know, not all restoration projects turn out very well. Let me give you a couple of examples. This is the the, uh, artwork called Immaculate Conception that was painted in 1678. You'll see on one side the original, on the left, and you'll see on the right side an attempt to restore it. What happened is that the owner uh, saw that it needed a little bit of a cleanup, and so the owner of the painting, and so he hired a furniture restorer for $1,350 to clean it up, and that's the result that they got from that uh, cleanup effort. Probably the most famous mess up on uh, the restoration world is Eche Homo. This was a painting that was on the wall of a of a chapel in Spain. And there was just the sweetest old lady in the church who saw that the, uh, the work of art was dirty and needed to be spruced up a little bit. So she just volunteered, took it upon herself to try to spruce it up a little bit, and this is the result of it. Uh, you know, she was the laughingstock of the community for a lot of years, but it all had a happy ending. Right now, the town where this chapel is and the wall that has this painting on it, they're experiencing four times more tourists now with potato Jesus than they did before. And a sweet old lady who is responsible for this is now a local hero. But there are times in our life that we need to be restored. We are sheep, the metaphor of this Psalm 23. And there are times that the roof of the sheep pen collapses and we are crushed under the weight of that. That's what the poet who wrote Psalm 23 was experiencing, but there are some restorations that work. We are all familiar with, through history and through art, with Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel, the ceiling of the of the Sistine Chapel. Michelangelo spent four years painting that ceiling, standing up all those four years, and he finally completed it in fifteen twelve. And what a masterpiece it was! And right after he finished the chapel, uh, painting this, the the ceiling. The chapel was put back into service. People would come and actually worship there. And the only type of lighting, obviously, that they had in the 1500s was candlelight. And so year after year after year of candles burning, that soot would just rise to the top and just cover it with soot and grime. And finally, after about 400 years, they recognized that we need to clean the soot and the grime and the dust off of that ceiling. And so a group of not furniture restorers but art restorers spent 1984 to 1999 restoring the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Now, everybody in the art world and everybody that's not in the art world understands, and there's the before and after of that, understands that Michelangelo is no slouch when it comes to art, but they could not understand why Michelangelo used such uh, drab colors, but my gosh, after the restoration process was done, these colors on the ceiling just popped. There was Barbie pink and apple green and sky blue, all on a backdrop of this, of this marbly gray, and the colors were just vibrant, all because of the restoration. It brought it back to life. The Restoration, as a side note, also undid the work of Pope Pius IV. Pope Pius was a prude, prudish Pope Pius. And what he had done after Michelangelo had done this and a few years later, he ordered that all of the nudes that Michelangelo had painted be covered with fig leaves and loincloths. And so when they uh, restored this from 1984 to 1999, they just let everything go free. And uh, all the loincloths and the fig leaves were taken off. I guess every generation has censors, don't they? There are a lot of Pope Pius Forests even around today who are just freaked out by the freedom of speech, the freedom of art to express itself. Starting over is all about a change. It's about beginning a new chapter in our life. And uh, if we read this text more accurately, it, it actually means to begin our lives all over again. You know, even in an age when thousands of people are leaving religion, I think people still want and they still value and they're still inspired by the lyric of this poem. They're wanting someone to restore their life, to give their life back again. Let's go back to the verse. Not only does the shepherd restore the soul, the shepherd, the poet says, leads me in the paths of righteousness. This is a path of righteousness. The word righteous is a very churchy term. It's a scary term we have in our mind with the word righteous. Sometimes somebody who's holier than thou is very judgmental, thinks that they're better than anybody else. I'm righteous, you're not, on and on. I don't know why the righteous brothers got their name. But anyway, we carry that word righteous in a very negative way today. But the word basically means to conform to a pattern. When I was a kid, mother made jello all the time, and she probably had a dozen different jello molds of different shapes. And so she'd pour the jello uh, liquid into that mold, and of course, the jello would harden into the shape of that particular jello mold. That's what it means to be righteous, to conform to a mold. And in the Hebrew scripture and the Christian scripture, the mold to which we are to be conformed is the mold of God. So you and I, if we're to be righteous, will simply be conformed to God. So the question is, well, what is God like? And my favorite description of God, you all know what this is, is 1 John 4, 8 and four sixteen. God is love. So to be righteous is to be poured like jello liquid into the mold of love. And so here is the shepherd leading this poet and the shepherd is offering to lead us on this path of love. This path that in which we are conformed uh, to the very person, to the very character of God. So this word path, as we look at that, uh, restores my soul, leads me in the paths of righteousness. When you and I think of a path, we think of a straight line. But the word path literally means a circle. So the idea is God continues to lead us in circles, and we think that pretty much describes my life. I'm just chasing myself in a circle over and over and over again. So that doesn't make much sense to me, that life is just going around in circles. So here's what I'm thinking that means. Have you all, anybody else besides Denise and me, enjoy going hiking? Back in our day, when we were a little bit younger, we would hike every summer for vacation. That was before COPD kicked in, and we just don't do any 12,000-foot mountains anymore. But when we were doing that, we didn't go on our hike from the bottom from the base to the top in a straight line. The trails didn't go in a straight line from the bottom to the top. The trails went in what is called switchbacks. Back and forth, back and forth. And what those switchbacks do, they get you to the top, but it's a much easier climb. It's a more gentle climb. And it's also a more, uh, it's a more beautiful climb. It's a slower climb. You have more time to enjoy things. You have more time to, to look around and see what is around you. So that is the Path that the sheep would take when they were going up a mountain. The shepherd would lead them on switchbacks of love. They would circle the mountain, so to speak, until they got to the top. And that's the idea of that word path. Uh, The trails up the mountain are switchbacks that go up and up and up. And the form of that word lead is so very important to me It means that God is or the shepherd is leading right now, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, the shepherd is leading and the shepherd will continue to lead. The form, the grammar of that Hebrew word lead means it's happening now and it continues to happen in the present and continues to happen in the future. So no matter who you are, no matter what's going on in your life, this shepherd is leading you. And so to that child who is scared in her home because of the atmosphere that's present in that home, the shepherd is leading that child. For the spouse who is being victimized by domestic abuse. For the college student who is about to graduate and not sure if they can get a job. For that individual Who is afraid that a police officer is going to pull them over because of the color of their skin. And with that police officer who never does know exactly what's going to be waiting for them when they pull somebody over. And for that person who is uh, still just crashing because their relationship crashed. And to the person who is going through the gut-wrenching pain of grief and saying goodbye to a loved one. In every one of those situations, even when we choose as a sheep to go a different way or the wrong way, what this verse tells me is that the shepherd's still with us. The shepherd is right now leading us no matter where we are. And the shepherd is not abandoning us. The shepherd is not going to say, you made your bed, you got to lie in it. No, the shepherd is going to be there with us to lead us right back into that path of love. And as that shepherd leads us, I, so many times, Denise and I, well, maybe more myself than Denise. I was so ready to get to the top of the mountain just to say I did it. And then to get back down the mountain so I could go get a margarita somewhere, <laughs> <laughs> that I just failed to enjoy the pathway going up. And the image that I get of this sh- shepherd leading the sheep up the switchbacks and encircling that mountain all the way, and this kind shepherd is all the way pointing out this tree and this flower and pointing out that chipmunk who's wiggling his cute little nose and just enjoying it and, and, and instructing us and inspiring us all the way up that mountain. Author and writer Lauren Groff says, if we are sensitive to the world, if we are paying attention to how profoundly astonishing the world is, every second would make our hearts burst. That's the image of going up the mountain around the switchbacks. The shepherd guides us in a loving, nurturing way in circles of righteousness. This idea of a shepherd is so important in that culture and is so important to us understanding the heart of God that Jesus picks up on it. And John records it in John chapter 10 in the Christian uh, scripture. In verse four of John chapter 10, Jesus says the sheep follow the shepherd because they know the shepherd's voice. How do I know the shepherd's voice? There are a lot of voices out there. How do I know it's the shepherd's voice? Well, Father Roar comes through. Father Roar says in his book, The Universal Christ, if something comes toward you with grace and can pass through you and then toward others with grace... You can trust that is the voice of God. Shaming, accusing, or blaming is simply not how God talks. God is supremely nonviolent. God only cajoles, softens, and invites us into an always bigger field. And it is always a unified field. Ah, take a picture of that. And whenever you hear... And we've all heard it in religion. We've all heard it sitting in a church like this. A preacher supposedly given the voice of God, but all we're feeling is shame and guilt and pressure and demands. And we're feeling so bad about who we are. That's, I don't believe, is the voice of God. I've had that voice before. And I don't believe I was expressing the voice of God. You know, the truth is, a lot of us sheep don't hear very well because we're not, we're so listening to the voice of preachers, we're so busy listening to the voice of religion, and sometimes we're busy listening to our own voice, and our own voice can be the most damaging voice of all. Let me give you a, an example. The October 4th issue of USA Today had a feature story in their life section about Monica Lewinsky Many of us remember the story of Monica Lewinsky 25 years ago with the affair with President Bill Clinton. It was just a very, uh, very horrible thing for her, a very, uh, uh, a thing in the Me Too movement that's just uh, part of that experience, uh, I think, helped produce the Me Too movement that we are so thankful for very much today. And Monica Lewinsky knows that she cannot shed the awful and and damaging to descriptors that follow her name even today. Uh, about that affair and about that horrible experience 25 years ago, she says, I know it's not going to clear up like a blemish. And she still deals with the pain, not just of the experience, but with the ripple effect of that experiences. And she uses that pain. Uh, for a purpose. For eight years, she has led an anti-bullying campaign, and now she's coming after her biggest bully, and that is the voice in her own head. The meanest, most judgmental voice she's heard has been the voice in her own head. Years after being a punchline, for middle-aged men on late-night talk shows. And after she earned a Master of Science degree in Social Psychology, those mean words still run through her head like a loop on a loop. And she says the therapy that helped the most was when she was in a group therapy and the therapist asked each member of the group to write down in a notebook all the words and all the phrases that they would say to themselves that were running on this loop. So she did. But then the therapist put a twist to it. She asked each person to read their list out loud. And there was something about hearing out loud the thoughts that she was saying to herself. She said, hearing myself say out loud what I say to myself The silent bully in my head was devastating. I cried at different points. I was shocked at how cruel I could be to myself. And here's a video of a therapist who is leading individuals to do that very practice. Take a look. You're a loser. Always have been, always will be. No one likes you very much. They're only being nice to you because they have to be. You're needy, an attention whore who just wants more and more and more attention. You have failed your daughter. You are a bad mom. What's your excuse for being fat? Everyone you like hates you. (laughs) It makes me sick whenever I look at you. It's disgusting how you can see your ribs through your chest. You're fake. You're such an idiot. You are garbage. And Everyone knows it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I hate you. You're just rolling inspiration porn. Would you ever say those things to anyone else? Never. No. Cut. No. <laughs> mm-hmm. So why do you think it's okay to say it to yourself? That's a good question. Monica says that she keeps in her home one as a baby, one as a toddler, one a little bit older. Pink dress, pink bow in her hair to match the dress. And the reason she does that is this. She says, I thought, I know if I put up these photos of myself as a kid when I see them, that I'm trying on some level to, to help her safe. If she is loved, that I've got it. Maybe it's a good idea that when we bully ourselves that we go back and look at a picture of us as a child. Loved, innocent, safe, can't even imagine all the millions of words that have been said about Monica Lewinsky and how she's internalized those and the loop that plays in her head. Do you have that loop? Self-bullying. Monica Lewinsky has within her, and you have within you a shepherd who's constantly whispering into your spirit, You are loved, you are complete, you are accepted. The cool thing about that I'm learning is that the sound of the shepherd's voice is the sound of my own voice. I want to follow a shepherd who is conformed to the person of God who is love. And that shepherd is in you. Listen to that shepherd. Speak the words of that shepherd. I have on the table here a precious moment. Does anybody else know precious moments? I uh, asked Denise to marry me in May of 1980. And uh, Precious Moments had come out just a couple of years before that. And I was at a Christian bookstore in Little Rock. Denise was in Tyler at that time. And I saw this. Uh, <clears throat> I think this is one of the first ones that they did. It's a little shepherd with a sheep. And on the bottom of it, it says, He, lead, he leadeth me from Psalm 23. Uh, at that time, um, Denise and I were really good friends. We weren't very romantic with each other at that time. So we were both a little bit nervous about getting married if we really didn't have romantic feelings toward each other. She was more like a sister, I was more like a brother. But we are very, very good friends. And so going to that next level, we both felt like this is the right thing for us to do to get married. But it didn't come with all the romance and the ooey-gooey stuff that we love in rom-coms. So I bought that as uh, as an expression of hope that, those romantic feelings would come and they did come and they leave and they come and they leave like all relationships but it it is a gift to Denise and to us as a couple that we were going to trust God to lead us through all of our life and that he would supply for us all the feelings that we would ever need and all the decisions and all the commitments that we would ever need and he would speak into our hearts the words of the shepherd of love and acceptance so we keep that as a reminder always and i want you today to hear the voice of god and to know it is a voice that will always prompt you to compassion, not hate. The voice of the shepherd will always prompt you to forgiveness and not resentment. The voice of the shepherd will always call you to more love rather than less love, to a, a bigger embrace of people rather than a narrow embrace of people. So listen to And follow that shepherd and get your life back. Yeah, let's pray. Father, thank you so very much for the opportunity to to get in touch with the shepherd that's in us. And help us to see ourselves as you do, as fully loved and fully accepted, fully valuable, just as who we are right now. Help us to turn off our ears to those bullying words from our own mind is that we will have the mind of Christ who speaks only words of love. I ask this in the name of love. Amen.